0: I just want to start today off by just uh, bringing to your attention something that happened actually in the month of December. Maybe some of you saw this online. Perhaps some of you saw it uh, through Facebook. Perhaps you saw it on the n- in the newspaper, the local newspaper. But I want to bring to your attention uh, something that is somebody who I think is heroic and who did something very heroic. And I believe it was the day after Christmas, and he was on his way to—wasn't it the day after Christmas? Is that right? Yep, he's looking down, doesn't want to look at me right now. And uh, so it was the day after Christmas, he was actually on his way to go hunting. And then he made it his business as he just looked out of the corner of his eye and he saw that there was some smoke that was coming from a house. But rather than ignore it, he went with the hunch as there maybe there was something that was actually wrong. So he turned around and went back. And the Lord provided him, A, the courage and the heroiz- you know, the heroism and also the opportunity for him to go in and take part in, in saving three different lives and he's been recognized in our community for being heroic could, could we just give him give Shane Preston a round of applause for that what's amazing about all of this is every time I say this he feels really nervous so Shane rarely feels nervous I love making him feel nervous so this is great uh, and he, of course, doesn't, didn't want any attention. He didn't even tell me about this. I had to find out through other people. So he didn't even want me to know. But I've known for some time, and I, I'm, I'm proud to know you. I love you, and I'm so proud of you and what you did. And every accolade, every attaboy, everything that somebody says positive about you, about what you did, um, I know that that's just the person that you are. So I just want to say uh, all these things, and I'm just grateful to be in, co- in good company with you. So um, in, in our series, what we've been talking about, and we've been r- talking about refocusing in the vision series for this year. So I, although the, the series is ending today, I want you to know that really this is just the, the catapult, if you will, for where we're going to be in the future. So we've talked about this idea of being faithful and proving worthy of faith, and we've we said at the onset of this of the series that faith is something that God gives us that we don't muster up the courage or strength or anything to be able to have it God imparts us the ability to have faith and our response is simply receiving what it is that God has for us and we're going to see a very clear picture of this as we finish up this series today and I just invite you to go into your Bible just to the the reading of God's word this is the main passage that we will be in and I have some others to support it but uh, we're actually going to do the reading from Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. And I want you to know, this is my favorite book of the Old Testament. I, I love the story of Joshua. It is so compelling. And and to be able to see a man of faith, to be able to do what he did amidst all the adversity that was around him is really astounding. So it, it's a pleasure for me even to preach from this and just to to talk about such great men of faith. Verse 14 says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river, that's the Euphrates River, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you're living, but as for me and my household, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord. In this passage, not just the, we, what we read from, but really from here on out, there are many different references to the word serve. And Joshua is trying to drill down on who are you going to serve? Who are you going to be faithful to? Two, are you going to be faithful in your walk with God? So he just drills down in this passage, and I I just love it how he just says, but as for me and my household, in other words, it doesn't really matter what you're going to do because I'm going to do what's right by the Lord even if you don't. That's what a life of faithfulness is calls us to do that's if we're going to refocus and reposition ourselves as God's people in this day and if we're going to seize this divine opportunity in this moment in time and we're going to claim that for the Lord expanding the kingdom of God if we're going to do that we have to have a defiant faith like you see in Joshua that no matter what else is going on in the world he says but as for me and my household we will serve the Lord." This is the reason why it's so compelling to me to to go through the storyline of of Joshua. And yet what's amazing, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that that their whole experience was like a roller coaster, was it not? Does anybody like roller coasters, by the way? Anyone? 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 Most people like roller coasters. Who's been on a roller coaster? All right? We've all been on a roller coaster. It's called 2020, right? It's a different kind of roller coaster, though. Like I remember when I was a kid and growing up in Illinois, the nearest uh, amusement park for us was Six Flags over, over St. Louis, and I remember going in and you know checking the place out. I remember when I was really, really young, and, and I was really, really short. I know it's hard to imagine. It was. I was shorter than I am now, but I was really, really short, and I remember as, as soon as you would walk into Six Flags over Great America, or I think it's called Great America anyway, that's, that's irrelevant. But anyway, when you would, I would walk into Six Flags, there was this ginormous, yes, I made up that word, a ginormous roller coaster, and it was called the Screaming Eagle, and it was amazing. I just could not wait until I was old enough to ride the Screaming Eagle, and that was great. I loved it. It was old. It was old wooden roller coaster. It was one of those, eek, 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 that, that kind of thing. Every, you felt every twist and turn, and you just, and it was all made of wood, and you just knew that this could be my time at any time. <laughs> Uh, I mean you would go to the top and you would swerve back and forth and then they ended up putting in you know all the the ones that are actually metal and and they're better and they would break better and you didn't feel like you were in like a a collision going you know 100 miles an hour uh, and all of that but I remember just the experience wanting to be on a roller coaster see when we go to amusement parks we want to be on a roller coaster but yet in life we don't want roller coasters do we we don't like roller coasters we don't like the the twist and turns and ups and downs and oh what am i going to do and and you know you get to the bottom and you lose you, you lose your stomach and, and like you're an experience where you everything's at the pit of your stomach and i don't know how this is going to turn out we don't like these times and yet what we see in the, with the israelites is you see that they're on a constant roller coaster of prosperity sin repentance it's up and down and up and down and a twist here and a turn here and it's prosperity and then that prosperity that God brought then they committed sin and then God would bring consequences and then the people would respond with repentance and yet what is amazing to me is Joshua as as he says as for me and my household we will serve the Lord he says y'all can go on the roller coaster if you want but I'm not going to I'm going to live my life faithfully for the Lord. And there's a defiance, a good defiance in, in that message. Not a defiance as, as far as stubborn defiance. No, no, really. he was willing to yield to God and to the Spirit of God to do what it was that God wanted him to do. Joshua had to stand apart from the people for the people. He had to stand apart from the people for the people. This is what Joshua did. He had to distance himself in this, in this passage. Now it's at the end of his life and he knows that it's at the end of his life, and it's the end of his leadership, and yet he recalls in this chapter the covenant that God is now in covenant with these people. He had been in covenant with these people, and he reminds them of the covenant, the covenants and the history of what God had delivered them through, and now he's saying, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He says, he's distancing himself. He's apart from the people, but he's speaking for the people. And every time he drills down, he says, serve the Lord, serve the Lord. Who are you going to serve? Serve the Lord. What he's doing is he's pounding the table and he's pounding their hearts for them to make a decision. Who is it that you're going to be faithful to? Are you going to be faithful to what Joshua said? Are you going to be faithful to the the people or the gods who are worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt? He's, he's talking about their storyline, the Chaldean gods, the Babylonian gods. He's talking about uh, the gods that, that they that used to, to, to worship and to falter with, and the Egyptian gods when they were in slavery. He says, are you going to serve those gods? And then notice he also says in verse 15, and he talks about beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, which is the gods of the of the false gods of the people who surrounded them at the time. And he says, Who are you going to serve? You see, Joshua had to stand apart from the people for the people. And yet there's there's this tension in this in this idea because how do you do this? How do you stand apart from the people and before the people? And us as followers of Jesus, maybe you you've kind of felt this tension when you talk about or when we just you come into this place and this seems like a holy and sanctified place and we sing praises and worship to God and we have experiences of, of just freedom worship and worship and maybe the Lord would speak to you through the power of the preaching of his word and you have these moments and then sometimes what happens is when we leave this place, we feel like God is here but God's not where we are at the time. He's not at work with our boss or our co-workers or, or in that family dispute or, or, or that argument or, or that stress and many times we feel like that God is only involved in these places but he's not involved in the other places and i want you to know that God is faithful to be God is faithful and he can be seen and experienced in every facet of life and yet the tension too is well how is it that i actually maintain my my pure walk with Jesus if i'm around impure people that's the other tension is it not How do I maintain my pure walk with Jesus? It seems like what I should do, if I want to be pure, it seems like I should just seclude myself and preclude myself and not even get around any other sinners because, after all, if I'm going to be pure, I have to avoid people. And yet, at the same time, the Great Commission tells us to go all into the world and make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've baptized anybody, but that's up close. I've had the opportunity of baptizing many, and it's up close. If they've got something, you've got something. So there's not a distance from the world, but yet how is it that we, we keep a safe enough distance as far as within our own being that we can actually speak for the world but we're not consumed with the world this is the tension we feel and sometimes it, it maybe it's it's like like if i told you i said hey hey we're all going to we're all going to work in an ink factory and and everybody's going to have to wear white like how's that going to work out in an ink factory doesn't matter what color the ink is right it doesn't really matter it's like that's impossible it's not impossible because w- what you actually see is is God doesn't just think of things as far as on the outside, God looks at you on the inside. And there's this, this message that came through Isaiah 118, and I wish I had time to share the whole chapter because it's powerful, but I'll just give you one verse. Isaiah, he gives uh, this this message and and in the prophet Isaiah, he talked about Jesus over and over and over, and he talked about how Jesus is the Messiah, and he talked about and he hinted at that Jesus was gonna that, that he would ultimately die and the way that he would die and he would be despised and mocked and he would be pierced for our transgressions is what it says in in, in Isaiah fifty-three. And and just in that the weight of the sin of the world was gonna be on his on his on him, on his body. And yet we see other passages like Chapter 1, 18, verse 18, he says, Though your sins are like scarlet. Scarlet's a color, by the way. It's, it's a bright red. He says, Though your sins are like scarlet, he says, I will make them as white as snow. I, I think it's amazing because he says, Though your sins are like scarlet, and he's, he's also saying, You've got blood on your hands. Because scarlet is, is very close to the color of human blood. And he says, though you have blood on your hands, though, though you have sin in your life, he says, I will make them as white as snow. And of course, this is, is God's message through God's messenger, Isaiah, but ultimately talking about whom? Jesus And why do we know this? We know this because there's other passages, like a passage in Romans, two passages in Romans I want to share with you, but one passage in Romans 3.25 says this, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Though your sins are like scarlet. God says, I will make them as white as snow. And the way for our sins to be forgiven, the way to be cleansed from all sin and unrighteousness is only through in recognition to what you see on the screen right now. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. That our, we had blood on our hands. Our sins were like crimson. Crimson. They stained everything. They stained everything. Sin stains everything. But God gives this promise: But I will make them as white as snow. In this verse from Romans 3:25, it says, People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. One other verse that follows this one. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That though your sins are like crimson, you can be pure as the white that you see in snow without any impurity because of the blood that was shed on the cross for you. You see, the corruption that we experience is not just on the outside, it's corruption on the inside. And Jesus makes what was dirty and unclean on the inside, He makes it clean when we come into relationship with Him by recognizing that God did this to demonstrate His righteousness. Not that we have to be righteous, because that's impossible to be righteous enough. But he did this, that that God the Father offered his son Jesus as an atoning, a covering sacrifice, that though our sins are like crimson, we could be pure as the white in snow. Because God himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight. When they do what? When they believe in Jesus. And this belief of the gospel isn't just, oh, well, yeah, I, I know that. Sure, I believe that. It's belief that then your actions verify what you believe. It's that your, your words verify the commitment that you're making to Christ. There is such a thing as As someone who just says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian because I've always been in church. I'm a Christian because my, my dad did this or my mom or my grandma served a lot in the church where I just grew up in the church. I've always been a Christian. That's not the way that one becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not the way that somebody becomes a Christian. One becomes a Christian only if. They come into a saving knowledge of Jesus. They confess themselves a sinner, and they acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior. And they ask him to be the Lord of their lives. So they no longer in charge of their life. Jesus is in charge of their life. This is the call of faithfulness for you as a follower of Jesus. We need a perspective of understanding who it was we were before we got saved and a perspective as to who it is that God says that we are now that we are saved. This has to change the way that we see. This changed the way that we live. This shapes our perspective. Today I'm going to give you four different things. They all begin with with the letter P. Sorry, it just worked out that way. Um, it's my inner Baptist coming out. I, I guess I don't know. I got accused of that this week. I was fine though. I was an ordained Baptist in case you're curious. So it's like anyway, I have, to, I have to shake those those things, but they still come up. I say that all in jest. I love my background. but they the begin with P, and the first one is perspective. Because for us, if're be if we're going to live lives worthy of the faith that God has given us, if we are followers of Jesus and we want to continue in this line of faithfulness, if we want to, to endure and prosper with the, the fruit of the Spirit that is faithfulness, we have to have a perspective change. We have to change the way that we see our future, the way that we see ourselves. Ultimately, we're going to uh, even more so understand this next week, and also the way that we see our past. And we have to recall, I think, a few things to help us in that journey. You see, the the idea of perspective has to do with vision. See, we have some vision problems, I think. We have some vision problems, and they demand a refocus. The the vision problems, rather, first one I would say is, is we have to recognize the distortion even within the church. We have to recognize the distortion, the twisting of the truth of those maybe even within this church, but also those who say that they belong to another church and to be able to be keenly aware, spiritually in tune and not blind to what's going on in the world. To, for us to have a perspective of faithfulness, A, we have to be, able to, to be able to see what is distortion, to see the twisting of truth, the twisting of truth for a cultural dialogue. The twisting of truth to fit some sort of social work. We have to be able to recognize what is the truth. The second thing, we need to have a revision within the church. A revision. We need to revise all the areas that the church is in compromise, where we've compromised who we are and the very substance of our faith for something that is worldly. We need to have a revision. We need to revise and, and ask the Spirit of God to invade every part of our lives to make sure that we can one day, like Joshua say, ask for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If we can say all that and we can bring about all these little pithy statements, but yet if our perspective is wrong, we will be wrong. If we are distorted and twisting the truth, we will be wrong. We can say those words, but there be no substance in our life or character to deliver on those promises. Are you all tracking with me so far? We also need a revision. We need to revise all the areas that you or I have compromised what the truth actually is. We have to come to terms with the division. Not only the division that is in our relationships, but also the division that is happening all over the social fabric based off of some, some social causes that everybody thinks that we need to campaign. Some of them are valid, some of them are not valid. Again, there's a distortion, a twisting of the truth. There's a, a revision. There's a temptation to compromise. And now there's also a division. We have to, to check our own heart. Is there division in our relationships? Because if we're to, to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, that means that our lives have to be in, li- in alignment vertically and horizontally. This should be the high call for every follower of Jesus. Not that we're perfect, we're not perfect. It's the blood of Jesus who, who washes away our sin. Or that washes away our sin. And the last one is distraction. This is a temptation for all of us. We can be distracted by good things, we can be distracted by the media, we can be distracted by bad things, but we have to watch the level of distraction in our life and, and who is it and what is it that is just vying for our attention and vying for our attention because if our perspective doesn't become one of expanding the kingdom of God, living about the kingdom of God, on mission for God, if our perspective isn't around these things, if we don't refocus and center around these things, we're simply going to be distracted by every faulty offer that the world has. But if we are going to be able to say with accuracy and integrity what Joshua said, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, first thing has to change is our perspective. See the the truth as to what it is and also be able to recognize the distortion of the truth. We need to have a a revision in areas where we've compromised. We need to come to terms with the division that is happening within the church, within our families, within our relationships and come to terms with all of the temptations that seek to distract us away from living on mission for God, expanding the kingdom of God as the family of God. I want to help illustrate this point one more time. Two different images. I want to share this first image with you. And this image, this is what a lot of people think that, it, that a, a, being a follower of Jesus is. Is you know, I just have all these, these blocks and, and notice Notice this is kind of being true to some of your story, perhaps, is, of course, the, the, the God circle is a little bit bigger, because how could you make the God circle the same size as everything else there? And yet, this is sadly what a lot of people think, and this is not right, by the way, just in case you, you're like wanting to take notes, be like, I love this one. You, this isn't a good one to love, okay? You're going to get the next one in just a second. This is what a lot of people think that, that, that a biblical worldview is. It's like I have all these things. I've got my faith, my trials, my testings, my morality, my work and rest, and my family and marriage, and and you know what? I've got God in the center, and that's good. It's a little bit bigger than everything else. And feather in my cap, I feel good about myself. The problem is none of these things are touching, or even more so. You're not allowing God to touch all these other areas. So I want to get to the second image. This one is the correct way of looking at it that everything is inside an area that God can touch. When we have a biblical worldview, it takes into account our faith and our morality it takes into account our walk with God. It takes into account our trials and, and our tribulations and our testings. It takes into account our work-rest rhythm. It takes into account our family and our marriage and our friendships. It takes all of these things into account, and yet it's it's coming into the recognition that God touches all of those, and God's Word speaks into all of those. If we are going to be people who are faithful to the cause of Christ, again, expanding the kingdom of God, living on mission for God as the family of God, we have to come to terms with this we have to live alignment that looks like that where we invite god to speak into every aspect of our life because satan would love nothing more than to see us be all divided and all compartmentalized he would love that he would love that if we could be so deceived to think that God is, is is just a little bit bigger, but yet he's not invited to touch every other aspect of life. For us to be faithful, to prove worthy of faith, is saying, God, I, I need you. I desire you. I, I need to advocate for these people, but I, I don't want to be overwhelmed by the sin of these people, but yet I have to have uh, just a nearness and yet at the same time a distance from them to be able to speak to them. Which then begs this question, the question that's asked in Psalm 119.9, longest chapter in the Bible, in case you're curious about random Bible facts. Maybe you're going to have it play a game later. You could win off this, this great knowledge. But this question it's brought about. Like how, how do I how do I do this? Like if I'm pure, if Jesus saved me and he and I'm cleansed from all of my unrighteousness because of the blood that was shed for me, and you've committed your life to Jesus and you've you've proven that been you, your life has been proven worthy of the faith that He's given you, not perfectly, but increasingly over time. And now the question is, Well, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can I how can I stay pure? How can a, a young woman keep they're her way pure how can a, a, a older man keep his way pure or an older woman keep her way pure and the answer is in the same verse by guarding it according to your word that's how we do this Th- that's how we do this if we're going to have a, a perspective that is a biblical perspective a way for us to recalibrate and refocus if we're going to be able to double down on the mission of God, let me about the, the kingdom of God as the family of God into our future, the near and distant future, and, and we're going to be people of faith and believe that God's not done, that no matter what goes on in the world, no matter who sits in the, in the Oval Office of 1600, Pennsylvania Avenue, or who sits in the, in the governor's mansion in Atlanta? That no matter what goes on in all of these things, how are we going to keep our way pure? How are we going to be faithful? It's by guarding it. Guarding our lives, guarding our future, guarding our hope, guarding our peace, guarding our way according to the word of God. You see, the Great Commission and commandments, we talk about this, from time to time, the Great Commission and commandments are biblical commands to maintain contact with the world, that's people, while avoiding contamination from the world, that's worldliness. This is what we're supposed to do. The same message that Joshua is now carrying about when he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, and he, is, he is the leader of. He 's advocating for the Lord, and he's speaking truth to the people and He has a defiant faith it, it, there's so many corollary ideas with what you see on the screen right now this this idea of the great commission to go out and to evangelize and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit right when Jesus says he says All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he tells us these are marching orders. And yet we're also given the commandments, the first and second greatest commandment. I talked about them earlier, loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. We're going to do this. We, we at the same time, we're going to have to maintain contact with the world, with people, but yet avoid the contamination of worldliness. And God knows this. This isn't like a mystery to God. God knows this. And yet he wants us to walk in the middle of it because he knows that we can do so. He knows that all he ultimately will win. And those of us who are faithful to the cause of Christ are on the winning side. Because as we advocate for God and if we abide in him, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives us everything we need. Just like Karen said a few minutes ago. Everything we need. If you're in Christ, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. There's some supporting passages. 1 Peter 1 1 says this, To God's elect, strangers in the world. To those that God has chosen, you're to live as strangers in the world. Notice how right at the beginning of, of his epistle, he identifies there's strangers in the world. You know, strangers... We just, something about strangers, right? We just don't know them, which is why they're strangers. But it's through the gospel that strangers become friends. It's through the gospel and it's through evangelism that, that strangers become friends, become family. 1 Peter 2, 11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us this tension is all throughout the Bible this needs to be the perspective that we have if we're going to live faithful for the cause of Christ to be a stranger, alien, sojourner, or pilgrim, all of these words are used in the New Testament to identify followers of Jesus. If we're To be a stranger, alien, sojourner, or pilgrim, it means that we have, we have our sense of belonging to God that will exist in some level of tension while on the earth. That though, though we have a sense of belonging to God, at the same time we're going to have a tension that we live in here on the earth. So the first thing we need is, is a perspective change. The second thing that we need to do is take our faith public. F- take our faith public. We need to take our faith public. No more hidden at home. No more hidden within ourselves. No more hiding in our workplace. To be worthy of faith Means your faith is out front, everywhere. This is Joshua. He had proven to be faithful. I'm going to write down. Or, uh, you can write down some sources if you want. I, I don't have time to go through all these. Um, I, I'm tempted to because I love the storyline of Joshua, but I'll just give you some references. You can look later uh, at his life, and I want you to know that that his his faith was public, like it was when he says, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Um, He's not just saying this because he's like, hey, I'm going to do it. He says, no, no, I'm going to do it because I've been doing it, and I've been doing it, I'm going to continue to do it. Joshua, he had a faith that was willing to stand alone. Well, not really alone, he stood with Caleb. Of the 12 spies who went out to spy out the promised land, Two of them viewed it through the lens of faith. That was his perspective of faith. While the ten thought that if they if they took the land, sure they may take the land, but then but then right after that, the, these these large people or these people are going to come in and kill him. And yet he was willing to stand alone or stand with Caleb. You could go to Numbers thirteen and fourteen and read that for yourself. The same group of people in Numbers fourteen verse ten. The same group of people are considering killing him because his response is one of faithfulness. In Exodus 17, 8 through 16, we see that he served faithfully under Moses' leadership. He he took a backseat to learn what he he should in that moment, just being under Moses. And another thing, he had uh, just this encounter with that Moses was there, this encounter, encounter rather, with the holiness of God in Exodus 24, 12 through 18, where he's invited up to the mountain and experience the holiness of God. Such a rare glimpse. If you look in the Bible, there's only a few people who have had that, that exposure to the holiness of God. Moses lays hands on Joshua in Deuteronomy 34, 9 identifying him as the chosen one who would be the leader after Moses would pass away. Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. That was in Joshua 1. He led them across the Jordan River, and God provided a miracle just as he had with Moses in the Red Sea. And Joshua followed some uncanny instructions in in Joshua 5 and 6 on how they were going to take Jericho, just marching around it and just God just showed out in a big way. Some of you already know this. He's like, he didn't even have them have to draw swords. They were literally yelling, and it's like around and round and round and around. Eventually, the walls come down, and then, then the, the enemies are defeated. God taught Joshua the value of mercy by setting up the, what, what was known as cities of refuge. By the way, that was... That was an element of social justice at the time. You can read that for yourself in Joshua 20. At the same time, Israel had a long period of, of rest from their enemies, and they had no real struggle. And, and what did I tell you earlier? Oftentimes when there's no struggle, the people become passive, and as the people become passive, they become comfortable, and then eventually they'll fall back into the roller coaster of sin and, and then... Catastrophe, consequence, and then repentance. Joshua reminds them in Joshua 23, 12 and 13, he tells them that if they mix with the pagan people around them, these people will be snares and traps and whips and thorns until they perish is literally what he says. Joshua 23, 6 through 8, he says this. He says, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Notice what he says in verse 8. Listen up, please. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. They're to be an example that they're, they're amongst the pagans, but yet they're not, their practices aren't interwoven with the pagan practices. But all of this is faithful or he's showing faithful as making his faith public. Near about the end of his life in Joshua 23, he says this, he says, Now I'm about to go, about to go the way of all the earth. You, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Did you know that, church? Not one of God's promises has failed. He says every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land that he's given you. In other words, he says the consequence of disobedience is going to be harsh and it's going to be quick and it's sure. Now we go back to our main passage. Verse 14, if you will. Joshua 24, verse 14. We're going to look at his posture. And the posture that he's, he's asking his people, he's he's commanding his people, he's not, not demanding necessarily, but he's, he's definitely giving them a, a choice because God gives people choices and he's giving them a choice and he says... Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He says, see, you have a choice to make. I've told you that I'm leaving, and I've also told you of the consequences of sin and corruption. I've told you that... That if you are, although you are God's covenant people, as God's covenant people, he says, if you live like the pagans, you'll be consumed with the pagans. So he says, fear the Lord. And fear means this in this passage it means to stand in awe of God, to honor him, and to give him allegiance. To give him allegiance. To fear the Lord. You see, but fear also includes truth, love, and worship. But make no mistake, when we hear fear the Lord, some of us, we, we, we kind of think of more, well, where's the grace in this? Where's the love in this? I mean, for God so loved the world, and, we, and that is amazing, and God is love. That's what it says in 1 John 4, and I don't want to de- detract from what the truth of that scripture, but I do want you to know that with the fear of the Lord is in awe of the Lord, but also fearing the consequences of being disobedient for, in our relationship with the Lord. We should also fear those consequences. There's a small amount of time that God doesn't give us the the consequences. If we, we do something and we deviate off course and we disobey, God allows us to feel consequences from time to time. Not all of them, but he allows us to feel those consequences to give us an opportunity for confession and repentance. In that regard, we're no different than the than the Israelites. Because although it's really easy to kind of map out the the books and the writings and, and the poems and, and all of the history and all of the, the everything that's written in the Old Testament to kind of map out the roller coaster. But if we're being true to our story, isn't our life kind of a roller coaster too? Do, doesn't our life in many ways mimic that of the Israelites? God blesses. We feel the prosperity. We we take it easy. We don't pray as much. We don't we don't trust God as much. We kind of trust and we kind of settle into to what we can do and to our intellect and we get comfortable and then we feel the weight and consequences of that and we lose the peace. that that transcends all understanding. And God allows us to, to feel the weight of those consequences. To do what? To give us an opportunity for us to confess and repent, for us to be in right standing, for us to have prosperity. But yet, so many times, our life mimics that roller coaster. What's astounding is the grace of God is sufficient in those times of weakness. But make no mistake, the fear of the Lord is... Sure, it's awe and it's wonder and it's it's this trust and it's this this divine allegiance to God, but also we should fear the consequences of walking away from God. And sadly, I think that is what has happened a lot of times with where we live in the country or in this country and in this time in history. We like all things church, but what we don't understand is, and what we we haven't come to terms with is the consequences for our sin. The consequences for our sin are opportunity for confession and repentance to get right back in good standing with God. Sure, once you're saved, you're always saved, if indeed you're saved. But you can break fellowship with God. In this passage in verse 14 it also says, serve him with all faithfulness. It's mentioned 7 times in the ESV and the NASB and 6 times in the NIV. To serve him means to obey him and worship him only. It means to love him, fix your heart upon him, obeying him because you want to, not because you have to. So to serve the Lord it also takes into account some other aspects. It includes worship and trust and love and grateful obedience. Which is to challenge us to then we we should be challenged to then become faithful with our time, to become faithful with our possessions, become faithful with our family. You see, for the for the Christian, Joshua's testimony is a model. It's a model of being a witness to one's faith, even when it's uncomfortable and unpopular, which is why in verse 15, it's so astounding why I get goosebumps whenever I preach this passage, or I read this passage, or I meditate on this passage, which is probably why you did too, when he says defiantly, with the the faith intact, and he says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, he's saying this, he says, I am bearing witness, even though it may be uncomfortable, it may be unpopular, but I am bearing witness to Christ in this moment, or to God in this moment. And he said, here are your options. You could either follow Jehovah, the one true God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you can, either, you can either follow God, you can either follow the Chaldean gods worshipped by your ancestors, or the Egyptian gods worshipped by your other ancestors, or the God, the false gods that are provided right around you, the God of the Amorites. He says, but you can't serve them all. You really can only serve one. Which one do you choose? My recommendation as I wind up, I wind down this passage, this preaching is this the last thing we need is perseverance. We need perseverance. These are days of perseverance. These are days of perseverance. These are days not of shrinking back. These are days of defiant faith. That's what these days are about. These days are about Facing the adversity in our lives in a God-honoring way. That's what these days are about. These days are about recognizing what's going on in the world. But declaring with integrity. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's what perseverance is about. Joshua, if we we're to do a biographical study of, of his life, you see this continually. He just lived a life of faithfulness. Incredible man. And God's still making people incredible today. But I could tell you, we have to have a perspective change. We have to take our faith publicly we have to check the posture of our heart and look and see who is it that we're serving and who is it that we're fearing. And there, there will always be testings that we have to persevere through. And by the way, in verse 15, when Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That word serve is not, if we're to, to study out that word, it doesn't just mean well, we're going to serve the Lord today. It shows the continuous act of serving. In other words, he says, I've been serving the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. And I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. That's what perseverance does.